the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Living on the Rock Radio with Pastor Israel Labson. Here you will hear teaching that will challenge you to a deeper walk with Jesus. Whatever place you are in your understanding of God's plan for your life, you will grow closer by listening. No shame, no guilt, and no condemnation. But you will be challenged to a closer walk with God. Now here's Pastor Israel with today's teaching. If you want to pay the cost... Here are the costs. Here are the costs. You're going to suffer in the area of your relationships, and you're going to have to sacrifice something about your livelihood. Now, in context, Jesus, in the the same chapter, uh, told a story. This is in Luke chapter 14, verses 15 to 21. Jesus was in a banquet, and in verse 15, the Bible says, When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, and I love it when Jesus replies with a story. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field. And I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen. And I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Jesus says, Sacrifice all your relationship in favor of the real relationship that you're going to have with me. Why is that so critical in our walk with Christ? That we must be uh, willing to suffer loss. Uh, in our resources and suffer or sacrifice uh, ourselves in the areas of our relationship. Now, please understand, again, that Jesus is not advocating a denial of our relationships. He's not saying abandon your wife or abandon your family. He's not talking about denying ourselves of the opportunity to make a living and to, uh, to, to gain an income or, or to, to establish ourselves with resources that we need. He's not talking about denial. He's simply talking about degrees. He says, if you put these things above me, you cannot be my disciples. He's saying, to what degree do you love these things in comparison to your love for me. You know, I've often wondered, why is Jesus, every time he talks about following him, he emphasizes so much on sacrifice and suffering? And I've always asked that question because, you know, a lot of people try to ignore that aspect of the gospel, that it does entail a degree of of sacrifice and suffering on our part to become Christians. I've always wondered why Jesus emphasized that 
in his ministry. But I think as I got older as a Christian, I realized that when Jesus came, he wanted to let people know that they are living in a fallen world. And, and that they are, and we are, all of us, are fallen people. You hear me say that many times. He wants us to understand that this world is broken. And we too are broken. And ever since the fall of humanity, listen loved ones, suffering rather than security became the norm. And we acknowledge that. You acknowledge this morning that, that, that we are living in a fallen world. Why is there a coronavirus that we're worrying about right now? It's because of the fact that we live in a world that is less than perfect. Sacrifice or suffering is now the norm. It's no longer security. And we need, really need to acknowledge that. Sacrifice, on the other hand, has since the fall of man have been the only way to access God. Did you know that? If you read the Bible, God wants to meet with his people, they have to offer sacrifices. You ever notice in the New Testament, Jesus came and the way back to God is for Jesus to sacrifice and suffer. I mean, that's a fact of scriptures. We, we, we can't deny that. Because the only way back to God now is through suffering and sacrifice. But aren't you glad that Jesus did those two things so that we too can go through the same narrow door? Narrow door? That's what the gospel is all about. The gospel, the words of Christ, is renewing something in us the moment we decide to follow Jesus. Get ready to be renewed in the inside. And part of the ways that God renews us is to say to us, if you follow me, there's going to be some sacrifices and some sufferings involved. Don't worry about that. I'm transforming you. I'm conforming you. I'm doing something in the inside of you that no one else can do. I'm trying to remove you from this world system and remove that idolatry in you that caused the separation in the first place. Did you know that when you go through suffering and trials, do you know that you have to sacrifice something for the glory of Jesus? Do you know what God does? He removes that idolatrous tendency in us. Because idolatry is refusing to believe that we live in a fallen world. That's what the definition of idolatry is in the Bible. People continue to refuse that there's nothing in this world that really has any kind of eternal value. And God is pointing us to Jesus because Jesus is the author of eternal life. Our focus is not on earth anymore because this earth is, was racked by idolatry. The sin of idolatry. Why did you think Adam and Eve fell? Idolatry. God says, you can have everything except for this one. And what did they say to God? Sorry, God, that's not enough. That's idolatry. It shows up in our lives, and the gospel is renewing us, trying to get us out of that worldly system so that we don't cling to that worldly system. Jesus was adamant about the exclusivity of our love and loyalty to him because that's the only way idolatry can be reversed from our lives. 
Now, people don't want to pay the cost of following Jesus, but that's the only way we can be detached from this world, from the system of this world. If something else is more important to us than God, then we're guilty of idolatry. Idolatry is sacrificing our relationship with God in favor of our relationships with others and in favor of our own station in life, our resources. We stress on the job. Why? Because we're afraid that if we make a mistake at work, that we're going to get fired. We don't want to upset the boss because we will lose our job, so we worry. We have all of these worries in life that we try to supplement with other things. Here's the only thing that everybody in this room need to worry about. The greatest tragedy in life is not to miss out on anything that this world has to offer. The greatest tragedy in life is to die without knowing where you're going after you die. That's the only thing that should worry anybody in this world. Matthew 16, 25 says, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Now there's a second compelling truth about being a follower of Jesus that we must come to grips with. And that is in the area of complete commitment. What does Jesus expect of us as his followers? And that's what part of Jesus was saying in this passage. You want to follow me? You, number one, pay the price, count the cost, pay the cost. And secondly, I expect you to make a complete commitment. What's the purpose of complete commitment when it comes to being a follower of Jesus? Very simply, Jesus wants to secure the success of the gospel through his followers. Let me say that again. Jesus expects, indeed commands and demands us from us complete commitment because Jesus is interested in the success of the gospel through us. That's so important. God expects us to be committed to secure the success of the gospel. And we are part of that success. Okay? It's interesting how Jesus, in the next verses of this passage, portrayed himself. Okay? Jesus explained it this way. Okay? He says, if you want to follow me, you got to do all of these things. You cannot be my disciple if you're not willing uh, 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 to let go or to, to, to love your relatives and your, your resources less than you love me. You, you, you cannot be my disciples. And then he proceeded to give an illustration. And in this illustration, Jesus portrayed himself as a builder and a king. All right? A builder and a king. Jesus says, suppose, uh, you know, you, you, a builder uh, wants to build a tower. Shouldn't a builder first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he, have, if he has enough money to complete it? That's interesting. He's asking those who want to follow him, you want to follow me? Supposing I'm building a kingdom, shouldn't I expect to succeed in building that kingdom? And what should I do in order to build that kingdom? I need 
to be sure that those who will be building that kingdom with me are completely committed. Because if, if they're not, they're going to shame my program here. They're going to shame my kingdom. And that's why Jesus demands and commands complete commitment when we follow him. He's asking, do you want to be my disciple? Do you want to get involved in what I'm doing? Guess what? I'm building something big. I'm building the kingdom of God. And you're part of it. Are you willing not only to pay the price, to count the cost? Are you willing to make a complete commitment to get it happen? You know, my, my, one of my pipes broke. You know, garden pipes. And it was leaking water so much. So I called the plumber. Plumber came in. Took him five minutes. Took the old pipe. Replaced it. Covered it up. Turned the water on. Boom. It's back to normal. I paid him a hundred bucks. And I said to myself, I pay you a hundred bucks. I can do that. Simple enough. So the next pipe broke. Guess what I did? I went and replaced it. I went to the store. I didn't know the size. Bought the wrong size. I went home. Didn't have the right equipment. Didn't have the right, you know, plaster cement. Didn't have everything. So I went back to the store and got me some rubber tapes. And I wrapped that baby up. Three miles of rubber tape. So to stop the leaking a little bit. Didn't work. So what did I do? I called Brother Willie right here at church. Willie, come over. I got some banana bread. Got to bribe him, right? He came in. Listen, this is, this is true. It took him five minutes to fix it. It took him two hours to get rid of the two-mile-long rubber tape. What's the point? We're responsible for understanding what is expected of us. Jesus says, you want to follow me, understand what you're supposed to do. You got to know this. This is not something, I'm not building a kingdom and bailing you out. You know, people, people think that Jesus is going to be doing all the work. And the Holy Spirit does guide us. The Holy Spirit does help us. But you know what? Jesus says, it's better for me to go up to heaven so I can send you the Holy Spirit. And he will guide you into all truth. For what purpose? Upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Who do you think he is talking about when he talks about the church? He is talking about you and me. Do you understand what I expect from you? That's what Jesus was saying. This is not as simple a message as we think. There's a lot of things involved, involving us in this thing. He used himself as a builder, as an, as an illustration. And then he went again and said, supposing a king wants to go to battle and he only has 10,000 men and he realized that his enemy has got 20,000, wouldn't he do the wise thing and create a peace accord with this other king before he gets wiped out? Jesus was simply saying, I am building my church. I'm building my kingdom and I want my followers to understand completely that they will be responsible for its advancement with the help of the Spirit. You and I are part of it. You and I are part and parcel of what God's trying to do in this world. 
So again, what was Jesus' purpose for our complete commitment? He wants to secure the success of the church that He's building. And His followers are expected to completely surrender to His terms. Jesus says, you want to be my disciple? You begin by surrendering to my power. You got to understand that I have power to do this. I'm deputizing you. And people don't want to hear that. Oh, Jesus is building his church. Yes, he is. There's no argument about that. But what's he building it with? (laughs) He's building it with you and I. We still have a mission in this world. We still have to preach the gospel. We still have to witness. Isn't that right? You still tell people about Jesus, right? I hope you are. You don't have to go grab them by the collar and say you better accept Jesus or else. You don't do that. But you show them Jesus through your ethics, your moral grounds, the way you speak, the way we handle situations. That's part of witnessing. And then you tell them verbally about Jesus. You know, one of my biggest struggles, because I did, that's why I couldn't, uh, you know, I couldn't completely go all in when I was a young Christian, was because I didn't understand the will of God. And, you know, that's, that's what's stopping a lot of people, you know. They just don't know much about the will of God, so they, they, they believe in Jesus. They even trust Jesus, but when Jesus calls them to follow him, I mean, they can struggle a little bit. Yeah, I don't know what the cost of this will. I don't know if I can make that commitment. I don't know, you know. I mean, they, they struggle like I struggled with the will of God until I took it upon myself to do my own research. What is this thing about the will of God? And I found out it was real simple. He has three wills. That's it in the Bible. Only three wills. Number one, he has a sovereign will. That's the kind of will that he tells us, you can know my sovereign will and there's nothing you can do about it. God says, in order for people to be saved and go to heaven, I'm going to send my son as a Jewish carpenter to die on Calvary to pay for your sin. Oh God, that doesn't make any sense. That's right. It's my sovereign will. Don't even... Think about understanding it. Don't think, even think about questioning it. I made that my will. That's God's sovereign will. Hey, don't be pounding your head against the wall saying, why can't I understand your sovereign will? You're not meant to do anything about it. And then there's his moral will. The do's and don'ts. God gave us His Word. 99.9% of His will is in His Word. In His Word, there's the do's and don'ts. Now, if you understand the moral will of God, you know what to do and you know what not to do. That's plain and simple in the Bible. But we as Christians sometimes struggle with that as well. But it's not difficult. You can know it. Thou shalt not commit murder. Hello? That's simple enough to understand that moral law of God is meant for us to understand and digest and make the decision to follow or reject. But there's a third thing that people will probably not agree with me, and it's okay if you don't. There's a third aspect of God's will, and I call it the Deuteronomy 29.29 will. The secret things belong to God. The things that we can know, He made it plain and simple. But the secret things belong to Him. These are the things that happen in our lives that we are not supposed to even understand why they happen. The secret things belong to God. Do you ever question why things happen the way they are? It's neither God's sovereign will or, or part of His moral will. 
They just happen. And God says, I reserve the right to do something and ask the people never to ask the why question. The moment I come to grips with that, that I fully understood that Jesus is saying to me, trust me by faith. Follow me. You're not going to have all the answers, especially the why answers. But I want to tell you that you're going to be part of what I'm building in this world for the redemption of humanity. God says, knowing my will is easy. It's not the fact that we don't know or we cannot comprehend or not even apprehend the will of God. Our problem is accepting the will of God. Amen? That's really the problem that we have, and that's really the problem the world has. We can make excuses like I did. Ah, you know, the, the will of God uh, is so difficult to understand. Not at all. It's not difficult to understand. It's difficult to accept. And that's why we decide we don't want to go all in. That was my biggest challenge. What about you? One piece of advice that I want to give everybody this morning. If you decide to go and be a follower of Jesus, you're going to have to go all in. You're going to have to allow his rule to take place. You're going to have to give him complete control. There's a final point uh, this morning. The third compelling truth about being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is, we must accept the consequence of being a disciple, whether it's good, the good and the bad alike. And what's the consequence of following Jesus? Scorn or sanctification. Those are the two consequences. And look at verse uh, 33. He says, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It's thrown out. The point is, if we fail as disciples, the testimony of our life will be ridiculed and we will be scorned. Uh, people will say, why does that person call himself a follower of Jesus? And then the lifestyle doesn't fit the testimony. How come that person's testimony of his life is not conforming to, to the Christian blueprint uh, that Jesus talked about? There will be scorn. I mean, imagine this. If you're a follower of Jesus, you will be ridiculed anyway. Right? I mean, you know, people just would, would come after you, put you under a microscope, find the next fault and try to expose that and say, see, you're a fake. You're a fake Christian because you can't live up to this and you can't live up to that. And you know what? We put under that kind of pressure and it's not good. But what I'm saying is uh, the Bible says that it's better to be ridiculed for a pure testimony, a good testimony, than to be ridiculed because of your haphazard commitment. If we're going to be scorned anyway, why not for the right reasons? And that is for completely turning over our lives to the Lord and following His Word. Jesus uses the salt as a metaphor for our testimony of being followers 
of Jesus. He says, if your, if your testimony is bad, like a, like a salt, if you lose your saltiness, or if you, you know, it doesn't taste like salt, you're no good for anything. You're not good for the soil. I, mean, I, 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 can't, I can't use you, you know, to till the ground for the gospel to, to flourish. And you're also no good to the devil. Because the devil will not even, you know, will not even worry about you. You know that old statement that they made a long time ago. Somebody says, heaven doesn't want me and hell is afraid that I'll take over. Sometimes that's what our testimonies look like. It's not acceptable in heaven and hell is afraid because once we get there, we might unseat the devil. But there's another consequence. And that is if we accept being a disciple of Jesus, if we accept the consequence, it will lead to sanctification. We will be set apart for the glory of God. And the ultimate purpose of our discipleship is to conform us to the likeness of Jesus. Sanctification will lead to the crown of life. Jesus says in Luke 18, 29-30, I tell you, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Abundant life for the present, eternal life for the coming age. That's what Jesus promises to those who will follow Him. You've been listening to Living on the Rock Radio with Pastor Israel Lapson, a ministry of Living Rock Christian Church in Sunnyvale, California. Living Rock is a church that doesn't care how you are dressed or what candidate you voted for. It's a church made up of imperfect people from all walks of life, but with a hunger and thirst to understand God's plan for our lives. No matter what you've been through or what questions you may have about God and faith, you will find love, grace, and hope at Living Rock Christian Church, located at 675 East Taylor Avenue in Sunnyvale, with Sunday worship starting at 10.30 a.m. They would be honored if you decide to visit them.